0: Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message.
1: For the last couple of months, we've been walking through an ongoing conversation that we called, No Offense. Everybody say, no offense. And God has been pressing in on us. This is supposed to be a a four-week conversation that turned into eight weeks because of what God wants to pull out of each and every one of us by having these series of conversations. And so week after week after week, the Lord has been impressing upon us to lose our propensity to become so easily offended. Because all of us, if we're honest, are easily offended offended. And it's a snare, it's a trap, it's a trick of our enemy, the devil, to get us off course and off the trajectory of where the Lord is trying to take us. Here's the big thought um, for all eight weeks. Like, if you don't grab all the content, I need you to at least grab this. For all my note takers, write this down. This is, this is, a, this is something that you got to know. I have a great calling and limited time. So I cannot afford, I cannot allow myself to be offended. I have a great calling. That's the easy part. We all feel as though we're called. The Lord has a plan for our lives. We're here for a reason. But in the distance of that is we have limited time. The Bible says that life is a vapor. So how much of it have you wasted being offended? But when you hold both of these in your hand, I have a great calling, but I also have limited time. Therefore, I cannot allow myself to be offended. That's why he's pressing this on us. Because we all have work to do, and we have a finite amount of time to do it. Today, I'm going to give you a message called The Killer Crossover. The Killer Crossover. Let's pray real quick. Father, we just welcome you into this place. We honor you for who you are. You're the great I am. We're your sons and we're your daughters. And what we want more than anything is for you to be pleased with our lives. We want to hear you tell us, well done, my good and faithful servant. So whatever's in the way of that, Father, we just ask for you to come in, to take it away. As we conclude this ongoing conversation about offense, Father, don't let us exit out of this conversation without the transformation that's needed for us to look more like you as a result. So Father, we honor you in the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen, 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 the killer, crossover. That's a bad pass, but you saw my instinct, right? Um, The killer crossover. It's a basketball move, basketball term. Um, The crossover itself is a move to where uh, uh, the person on offense makes it seem as though they're going to go one way to try to trick the defender, but they end up going a complete opposite way um, than what the defender thought that they were going to do. But the term killer crossover is, is attributed to one particular basketball player. His name is Tim Hardaway. Uh, he's from Chicago, born and raised. Uh, he played uh, something like 14, 15 years in the NBA. And he's also a member of the NBA Hall of Fame. And he took the crossover to a whole nother level um, and he made it popular in pop culture as a result because his variation of it was extremely uh, quick and extremely effective for him i mean he's in the hall of he's in the hall of fame he had a hall of fame career as a result of this was his signature move and so um, what he would do is he would come and he would he was a quick person he was a point guard and um, he would have his body straight up and down so that he had the ability to go left or right without you knowing which direction that he was gonna go in. But as he approached you, as you were on defense, he was looking at your feet. Because your feet, whether they were like this or whether they were open in this direction, was communicating to him which way that you thought that he was going to go. And so based on the way that your feet were placed, If you were open this way and you were assuming that he was going to go this way, he played into your thoughts. And so he would make everything in his body appear that he was following your pathway to make you think that you were in the proper position to play defense against his move. But he had already perceived that after that first step in the direction that you wanted to go, what he would do is, he would put the ball through his legs and then go the exact opposite direction, leaving you standing at the three-point line looking crazy. Like, what just happened? Now, he didn't come up with the name Killer Crossover. It was just a crossover for him, but Magic Johnson is the one who gave his move, that name, he was being interviewed um, during the All-Star break and they asked him about Tim Hardaway's move. He said, man, it's unstoppable. He's like, you stand in there and then bang, bang, you're dead. And that's how the term the killer crossover came to be. And I think that the devil's been using the killer crossover on you. Because... He's been coming at you one way, and you thought you had a really good stance. You thought you had a really good defensive stance. You you saw it in the spirit, right? You knew that he was about to go this way, so you, you put your legs straight. You kept low. You had your good balance, your good center of gravity. The next thing you know, bang, bang, you're dead. He crossed you over because offense is just the first step. That's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal for you is anger. The ultimate goal for you is bitterness. The ultimate goal for you is a separation from your heavenly father, but he'll use offense as step one. And he's really just setting you up to cross you over to get you to a place that you have a really hard time Recovering from. So next thing you know, you're in deepness and then bang, bang, that relationship is dead. Bang, bang, that friendship is dead. Bang, bang, that marriage is dead. Bang, bang, your relationship with Christ is dead. And it started with offense. But the offense wasn't the ultimate goal. So you got to see offense for what it is. It's a setup from your enemy to leave you bankrupt. Spiritually, relationally, emotionally empty. Standing there looking crazy. Like what just happened? I was asking myself a week. Like, Lord, why is why is offense so easy to fall into? I know y'all ain't honest, but it's easy for me for somebody to say the wrong thing and I'm instantly offended. Lord, why is it so easy for us to trip up and fall into this trap. We know the enemy's behind it, but yet and still, when it pop up, I'm mad. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did that. Do they not know who I is? Where I'm from? I don't play that. It's easy for us to end up Offense. And I think it's important that we know why it's so easy so that we can pray about it, make the adjustments that's needed, so that we don't stay so easily offended. I believe that there are three reasons why being offended happens so easily and it's so hard to overcome. Why it happens so easily and it's also so hard to overcome, the first reason is that it's an emotional reaction. It involves our emotions. It involves emotions such as anger or hurt, which can be difficult to regulate or control. Have you ever had that fire just show up when somebody said the wrong thing about you or somebody you care about? I'm not talking about the fire that Jeremiah had shut up in his bones. This is rage that I'm talking about, anger, hurt, pain. It's like a fire. You get, as we say, heated as a result of what somebody said to you, did to you, said about you when you weren't around. And next thing you know, your emotions are flaring up. And the problem is these emotions can persist long after the initial offense occurred, like it'll stick around. Like it's not here quickly and gone quickly. It's here quickly and it stays a minute. Some people, you've been offended for years. Some of y'all been so offended for so long, you forgot why you was offended. You won't tell the truth. Something happened five years ago. You don't know what, but you know they did something and I ain't like it, so forget them. Well, what happened? I don't know, but I don't like it. That's what offense does. It has the propensity to stick. It shows up quickly, but it doesn't leave quickly. It stays and it messes with our emotions. Is what we say? Now, what happens is we say we got trust issues now. So now because this person messed up, I don't trust none of y'all. Or now you have to go through extra steps to prove that you're worthy of my trust. Why? Because offense was just the first step. It was the gateway to more corruption in your emotions to where now your brothers and your sisters to the left and your right in this room have to work harder because of what somebody else did to you. And you miss in a lot of instances, the opportunity to be blessed by the presence of people that God has sent your way because of people the devil sent your way. Because it doesn't just show up offense, takes up residence in our emotions. And because of what happened at that last church, I don't know about this new church. Because of what happened in that last relationship, I don't know about this relationship. Because of what happened at that last job, I don't know about this job. And everybody's paying the price in your future because you are handcuffed emotionally to your past. The second reason that offense happens so easily and is so hard to overcome is because in some instances it causes an identity crisis. That's why we say, who do they think they are talking to? They don't know me like that. But, But in some really, really, really painful situations, you start to look down on yourself. You start to blame yourself. You start to allow yourself to become the scapegoat for other people's dysfunction. You allow other people's dysfunctional thought processes shape the way that you view yourself. Whenever it's this quiet, I know I'm right where I'm supposed to be. You become a victim of someone else's dysfunction because their dysfunction starts to look normal and then you start to look abnormal in your own mind and you fall into an identity crisis. That's why you can get hurt in one church and you blame the entire body of Christ. Or worse, you blame Jesus the Christ for what a Christian did. It's an identity crisis. You forgot who you are. That's why it happens so easily and it's, it's so hard to overcome because now you see yourself differently than what your heavenly father sees you. You've taken on a new identity that was shaped in your offense. It was shaped by what they did and what they said to you and how they hurt you and how they disappointed you and how they dropped you. It's all real. Don't hear me saying that what you feel and the pain was minute. No, no, no. I hate that that happened to you. It breaks the father's heart that that happened to you. But the plan of it, the plan of it, the offense was just a deception. The real plan was to cause a deterioration between you and your heavenly father. You have to see it for what it is. You have to never lose sight of the fact that you have a great calling, and limited time, you have a great calling and limited time. Some of you are under the sound of my voice and you don't think you have a great calling. That's part of your identity crisis. You're saying, how can you use somebody like me? I am messed up and I've messed up time and time and time again. But when, when, when the Holy Spirit wrote in the Bible and said that you were more than a conqueror, he had already factored in all the ways that you had messed up and all the ways that you would messed up and still called you more than a conqueror anyway. The problem is you have let life hurt you to the point that you don't know who you are. And that's why you're so easily offended. You've been hit with the killer crossover from the devil. What looked like just you trying to defend against offense caused you relationships that you needed on your journey to discovering who you are in Christ. There's a third reason. It automatically puts us in defense mode. Automatically. When you are offended, the first thing you do is go on the defensive. Somebody say something about you, you already got your response about them. Well, you Well, you, well, what about when you? I know they ain't talking when they. We got it. We won't even have to try hard. Listen, this is an issue for me. Because the way I grew up, I was trained on how to snap back at people. We did it for fun. We did it for sport. We was trying to outdo each other. And it wasn't just me and my friends. I got to be honest, man. My family, they good at it. I was raised watching them snap at each other. All my aunties and uncles, it was instant. It's in my DNA. So when somebody, talk, like, I already got three responses in my brain, like, off top. I already looked at your shoes, your, your outfit, your haircut. Like, I'm ready. Say something. Sorry, that's not very pastoral, I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm a work in progress, guys. Sanctification takes time. But we automatically end up trying to defend ourselves, trying to defend our reputation, trying to defend our honor, trying to defend our character to people who God never called us to defend ourselves to. In fact, in his Bible that he gave us, he says that the battle is not ours. Like it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. We were in Birmingham this week and uh, we got to talk to one of our mentors and, and he went through some, some stuff several years ago that involved a family member, a family member and church, like a recipe for disaster. And I asked the guy, he told me this, the story was crazy. And I'm not gonna tell it because it's, it's crazy and he doesn't tell it publicly, but he told, he told us in private. And I said, bro, like how, how did you, like how do you just shake that off? Like how do you just move forward? He was like, I learned that when I let the Lord fight my battles, I always come out better than if I would have fought them." So I pulled out my notes app and immediately wrote that down because sometimes it's hard to forget. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to remember that we have the Lord's help in these moments because we instantly, instantly want to tell them about them, want to tell them where they can take their opinion. Because they don't know me like that. Who do they think they are? We automatically go in defense mode, and the Lord is a much better fighter than us. He's a much better vindicator than us. We don't have to justify ourselves to each and everybody who's offended by us. Cause you know what? Sometimes God's promotion is offensive to people. Sometimes God's favor is offensive to people. Sometimes the blessings of the Lord are offensive to people. Are you gonna keep explaining yourself? I don't know why I'm blessed. I just don't want your feelings to be hurt because God blessed me. How do you think that makes him feel? After you prayed and cried and snorted, he answered, and you are trying to worry about somebody else feeling. You prayed for five and got 25, and you're scared to testify about it because somebody might be offended and ask me for some money. Give it to him. The same one that got you 25 I can give you 50. Like, what What? what are we doing? You don't have to be in defense mode. You can let the Lord fight for you. And he's much better at it than you are. But we don't, we, don't, we don't remember that in that instant. Because in that instant, it's so easily to get inflamed. It's so easily to get upset and hurt. And all those feelings are real. All those feelings, all these emotions that we have that we're describing are part of our makeup. God gave them to us. But what he didn't do, what he doesn't want, is for us to be ruled by the emotions that he gave us. He told us to take dominion. He wasn't just talking about investing and and starting businesses and and, and prophesying to the nations. Uh Why don't you start taking dominion over your own self first? Why don't you try that? Why don't you stop being a victim to your own emotions and take dominion over yourself before you start giving out the word of the Lord to everybody else? Maybe we should take care of us. We have a great example. His name is Jesus. So for us, if we just keep trying to operate and and move through this life on our own, we're gonna end up easily offended because of the emotional reaction and the the identity crisis that it brings. And we're automatically gonna go into defense mode if we keep trying to do it our way. But if we're honest with ourselves, our way hasn't been working. It just hasn't. Think about all the time you've wasted. You and your ex broke up five years ago and it's still, Shaping your decisions in 2023. You and that friend of yours hasn't spoken in months and years. And it's still preventing you from making new friends in 2023. You won't join a life group because of what somebody did to you three years ago. It's affecting your 2023. And enough is enough. Let's stop doing it our way. Why don't we take a look at Let me take a look at how Jesus would handle this. Yeah, he's perfect and we're not, but he's still our blueprint. He's still what we should be chasing after. He's still what we should be pursuing in our everyday walk. And so if we take a look at Luke, the 23rd chapter, we'll see an example from the scriptures about how our master would handle this. Luke 23 and 33, I'll be reading in the NLT and it says, when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified. One on his right, one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched. And the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself. If he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. So here he is, our our master, our redeemer, our savior, nailed to the cross. I don't know if you know this, but it didn't feel good when he was nailed to the cross. Sometimes we think our feelings are facts. Sometimes we think our feelings are our guide to our decision-making. But can I tell you, he was in the most excruciating pain that he could possibly be in. And he didn't let his emotions rule him. Mm -mm. He made a different decision While he's in pain, while he's bleeding, while his life is leaving his body, he looks up to heaven and says, Father, forgive them. Question, let's go Sunday school. Did Jesus have a right to be offended, yes or no? Absolutely, somebody said. The very people that he came to this earth to save, set free, were mocking him. Those same people nailed him to that cross. That same people, that same group of people had him sent off to be whipped, spit on, talked about. It. He's talking crazy to him while he up there dying. He had the right. We talked about rights leading us to wrong decisions. He had a right to be offended. He had a right to call down legions of angels and take them all out. He had a right to look down from the cross and look at them and tell them how wrong they were. He didn't know, even though he had the right to. While in the pain that he was in, He prayed for them. See, sometimes we'll be waiting for the pain to go away before we get Christ-like. Christ-like is doing it while you're in the pain, while you're bleeding, while you're hurting, while you're suffering, while you're upset. Praying and interceding for the people that cause the pain that you are in. I thought y'all was to be Christ-like, why y'all get so quiet? Didn't we come here to learn how to be more like him? But we can't waste any more time being offended. So then the question begs itself, how does Jesus get to this place? Beyond the fact that he's God, because he's 100% God, but he's also 100% man. You know he's 100% man, because he had to go to the garden to pray like, Father, can you please, we're gonna talk about it, let this cup pass from me. Why would he say that? He's God, but he's also man. And he knows he's going to feel every bit of that pain. And there's no two ways about it. So I think, I hypothesize that in order for Jesus to look past the offense and stay focused, he needed to focus on something bigger than the offense. Something has to be bigger than the offense to take my attention off of being offended. So I think there's three things we can find in this text that show us where we should focus. Instead of being focused on being offended, I think the first thing that Jesus had was a posture of poise. He had a posture of of poise. By definition, the word poise means to have a calm confidence in a person's way of behaving. And it's not situational. The only time poise is really poise is when the situation is adverse. Because it's not hard to be calm in a calm situation. we all calm because it's calm. But poise is when the odds are stacked against us that we still have this calm about Ourselves, how, did, how, how can he be nailed to the cross? The worst form of torture ever invented, not just nailed to the cross, but the people talking crazy Why wow, he's on the cross. Not just the people talking crazy, but at first, the two criminals was talking crazy, like, Bro, get us down from here. You God, ain't you? Everybody talking crazy. And everybody that's talking crazy is the people that he came to save. How can he have poise in this situation? I think we find it in the chapter before, in Luke 22 and 42, this is where we find him. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away. He's praying. He's praying like, Lord, can we do this another way? Is there a plan B? Because plan A is hard. He said, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Real quick, (laughs) I know I I, I don't want to be obnoxious, but if Jesus needed somebody to minister to him, Who the heck do you think you are? Trying to do this on your own. Trying to do this apart from his spirit. He was stressed out and he prayed. And then the Bible didn't leave out the detail that when he prayed an angel showed up and it said, minister to him, the God man needed ministering to. Why don't you believe that you need ministering too? You do. But you're trying to do this alone. And that's why you keep taking the L. That's why you ain't got no friends. I'm an introvert. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're broken. Sometimes we just got to tell the truth. You're broken, but the good thing is, the good news is that father is a potter and he can take those broken pieces and he can put it together like nothing ever happened. But it first takes an admission. There's some brokenness here. I've let some people hurt me to the point that I've become broken. I've become a different version of myself outside of who god created me to be and now you're giving yourself all kind of different definitions i'm an introvert i'm not a people person blah 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 you a liar you broken but the lord is available to fix you where does poise come from prayer cultivates poise you don't have poise because you're not calling on your help You're just posting about it on Facebook and waiting for somebody else who's broken to co-sign your brokenness and make you feel justified of being broken. And then you start an online ministry for other broken people that's broke like you. Pray about it. It's not normal for you to not like people. (laughs) How does that sound like Christ at all? That's the devil. He's the king of isolation. (laughs) The Lord wants more for you. Hear me. The Lord wants more for you. Stop redefining who you are based on your wounds. You're calling yourself something that the Bible has not called you. You're normalizing your trauma. You're justifying your dysfunction and you're becoming somebody that God did not make you to become. And it all started with an offense and you got crossed over into a new identity. He killed your ministry with that wound. He killed your ability to love with that move. And you know what happens when those things get killed? It doesn't just affect us but it affects the stories that were connected to our destiny. So we all have other stories, other people, other souls that are connected to our journey. So now you don't preach no more. You don't witness no more. You don't pray no more. You don't prophesy no more. Cause you got crossed over. He killed your ministry. That's why the move is so deceptive, because you don't see it coming. Bang, bang, and you're dead. So not only did he have a posture of poise, but he had paternal security. He knew who he was, and he knew who his heavenly father was. There was no doubt about it. That's why he looked up and said, Father. Forgive them. He didn't say man upstairs, he didn't say universe. He said Abba. There's a difference when you see God as your father. It makes a difference in your prayers. It makes a difference in your decisions. It makes a difference with how you live when you see him as your father. Because as a father, you know that he cares for you. You know that as a father, even when you don't get it right, he's still there with his arms open, ready to embrace you and correct you and help you get back on track because that's what fathers do. They don't abandon you. I know that some people on this earth, your spiritual father, your natural father, whatever fill-in-the-blank type of father may have hurt you, but your heavenly father is undefeated. He's perfect. His love is unconditional for you. So you gotta stop letting human fathers shape your view of your heavenly father. Only your heavenly father can determine how you see him. How do you know him more? You gotta get in his word. You don't even know who he is because you don't know what he said. And so then that leaves you vulnerable to what other people have said about your heavenly father because you haven't taken the time to get to know him yourself. He's not just a man upstairs. He's your father and he loves you. Jesus didn't lose sight of the fact. He had paternal security. You could not shake him. You couldn't distract him from the fact that his father in heaven loved That's why in John 5, 19 and 20, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son. Do you know that your father loves you? Or do you think that you disqualified yourself from his love? That's a lie the enemy loves to tell you. He don't love me. I got to get myself, I got to clean myself. If you could clean yourself up, you wouldn't need him. Uh And I'm talking to you church people that's been in church your whole life. Because we love to show up and be disguised as having it all together. But the truth is you're just as broken, if not more, because you've mastered hiding. You know all the little catchphrases. You know all the church lingo. We know you blessed and highly favored. That's that's dope, thank you. But you're also broken. Because if Jesus can get to the place of being broken, to the place of sweating blood while he's praying, you and your 20 years of church service has the ability to become broken too. So a good thing for you to do is to stop fronting. We don't need you to have your mask on, right? Because people come to the Lord by our testimony. I've been doing ministry for a long time and I can't let people see that my marriage is falling apart. I can't let people see that I have identity problems because I'm minister such and such, I'm elder such and such, I'm prophetess such and such, I'm apostle such and such. And there Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, perfect in all of his ways,
0: asking God to let this cup pass, but you got it all together. You got it all figured out. Some of you show up here like we, like you're doing us a favor. No, thank you.
1: We all broken here. We all need Jesus here. We're all trusting in the Lord here. We're all leaning on him here. Ain't none of us got it all together. This passage shows that Jesus was fully convinced of his relationship with his Father in heaven. As followers of Jesus, we are called to have the same kind of deep and unwavering relationship with him. When you have a deep and unwavering relationship with him, the circumstances of life don't take you off course. Don't take your eyes off him doesn't cause amnesia about how good he is. But when you don't have that deep, listen, deep, right? You can have a relationship with him that's not deep. You can have a relationship with him that wavers. But when you have a deep and unwavering relationship with him, life doesn't distract you from him. Life makes you consistently go back to him for help. That's where you found Jesus in the garden. Even Jesus didn't try to take the cross by
0: itself. But
1: you stressed out trying to find a job and ain't prayed for the guidance. Just filling out applications all over the place. I ain't prayed a prayer. Jesus,
0: the God man,
1: prayed not just in this situation, all throughout the Bible, it says that Jesus got away from them people to go pray. Because people, when they start peopling, should cause you to pray
0: more. Not
1: create more distance. It should cause you to go toward your heavenly father. That's the type of relationship that Jesus had. He had paternal security. He knew who he was. And he knew who his father was. James 4 and 8 says that when we draw close to God, God draws close to us. So the reason you can't hear what God is saying, the reason you're so confused about what you should do next is because you haven't brought him close.
0: You haven't brought him close!
1: Because he's not close, you're confused. It's simple. James tells us invite him in. If you invite him in, he's not going to say, eh, I don't know. No. If you and your messed up self and your imperfect prayer invite him in, the perfect, great I am is going to come close. And the more you do that, the more you will have paternal security, the more you'll know without a shadow of a doubt who you are to him and who he is to you. The last one, this is the last one because I know you're tired and frustrated. So not only did Jesus have a posture of poise, not only did he have paternal security, but number three is he had purpose in mind. He had his purpose in mind.
0: He knew why he was here.
1: What was he doing when he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing? First of all, he's telling the truth because they didn't know what they were doing. They thought that they were doing something, but they didn't know what they were doing.
0: Let's go back to Sunday school.
1: Why did he come? He came to save the world. Can you imagine having a purpose to save the world and the very act? that you came to do instead of doing the thing that you came to do, imagine if he's up there and say, angels, come kill all of them right now. He came to save but killed. Would that make sense? He came to save and he was saving.
0: Can I ask you a question?
1: Because Jesus doesn't waste words. Could it be? It's just a question. Could it be that those people were about to get dealt with by an angry father because of what they were doing to his son? And Jesus, being the intercessor that he is, says, father,
0: please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I wonder if something really bad was about to happen to them. Come on, we parents. Somebody do your kid
1: wrong, oh, you become somebody else. I got a million stories in my wife, but I'm gonna leave her alone. Because my wife is sweeter than a bag of sugar until you mess with one of her kids. I wonder how our heavenly father felt looking at his son, his only begotten son, being murdered. the people he was sent to save he stayed in his purpose his purpose was to be the savior of the world so despite the pain he couldn't get away from his purpose his pain did not detect distract him from his purpose his pain did not deter him from his purpose the problem is you've let pain distract you from your purpose. You've let pain deter you from your purpose. You've let that hurt take you off course, take you out of your purpose. You forgot that you've got a great calling and limited time. And you put your focus on the offense and you took your focus off of your purpose. Jesus didn't do that. He stayed on that cross by choice because he was focused on his purpose and his purpose outweighed the pain of the offense. I said his purpose outweighed the pain of his offense. Maybe you have been offended this long because you haven't had your purpose in mind. Maybe that pain was part of the process. Jesus wasn't just talking with words when he said, Father, forgive them. He was demonstrating with his life to back up the words that he was saying. He stayed on the cross so that the forgiveness could happen. Some of us are really good with church words. I'm praying, the Lord be your strength. God is with you. But there's no action in your life to back up these words of yours. People are looking at your life like, "Eh." As soon as pain came, you started acting like them. You didn't back up your words with your life. That's why we got to look to the cross for our example. Sometimes we let people and the decisions that they make cause a a little biblical amnesia. I mean, we can't think of a scripture when that hurt comes. They crossed me. They double crossed me. Who likes being crossed? Especially by somebody that you call a friend or a family member or even a co-worker that you were fond of. That person you were once married to. They crossed you. And not because they crossed you. Your whole life has been upended. Your whole emotional state has been, re- has been reconfigured. You barely go to church now. You come every now and then because somebody crossed you. Well, if you, look up, if you look up the root, the entomology of that word cross, you know what it points to? This one. It literally points to that phrase cross and double cross comes from your savior being nailed to one. Cause the very people that he came to give life to tried to take his. So, so what if they cross you? Let it remind you of what your savior did for you. Maybe you can do that for them. Remember that Proverbs 20 and five tells us that The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but, 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 but a man of understanding will draw it out. It's not just enough for that purpose to be in you. If it never gets drawn out of you, he didn't put it in you for it to stay there. It's like a well, a reservoir that's supposed to bring sustenance to somebody else. But what happens with offense is it gets stuck. We don't want to give it out because then we make ourselves susceptible to a new offense, to a new hurt, to a new letdown. We got to make a decision. Are we going to focus on the offense or the potential thereof? Or are we going to focus on the purpose that God created us? We can't look at both of them. Our focus has to be on one or the other. Our purpose has to outweigh the offense. This is called the killer crossover because the only way to get past that offense is if we put the cross over it. When the offense comes, we got to hold the cross up. We got to put the cross over the offense so that the offense doesn't kill us. So that we kill the offense. Last thing I'm going to say. It's just a reminder. I have a great calling. In limited time. I have a great calling. You. Everybody under the sound of my voice. You have a great calling. and limited time.
0: Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.